Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. We're going to be uh, carrying on with our new theme, Kingdom Come. You guys digging this? So good for us to get into what it is God is saying to us. This kingdom perspective is desperately needed in this season. We have to understand how the kingdom of heaven invades the kingdom of earth, where the cover, uh, the crossover is, where it is that we, we um, match up the power of God to the things that we're going through in life. And so we're going to press into that today. We are going to celebrate communion at the end of this. So parents, if you would like your children to uh, do communion with you as a family, I'll give you a little heads up before and you can go grab them from their classes. Um, But we'll do that at the end. We're going to spend some time today digging into the meat of how this works. And so kind of have laid the groundwork of the kingdom of God. Um, Today, I'm going to give you a ton of scripture. And so if you're taking notes, As you're taking notes, let me put it that way, as you're taking notes, make sure to write down the references. The idea is that you are studying this at home. So when we go through large chunks of scripture, I don't expect that everybody's going to be able to receive it and apply it all today. But as you go through this week, go back and dig out the scriptures, study it, you know, find out what God's actually saying. Let God change your heart because we've come into a season in, in history that we have to know whose we are. We have to know who we're relying on. We have to know the bigger picture. We have to know where we're going. We have to know who's in charge. We have to know our role in God's plan. So it's going to be good today. We're going to dive in, but let's just open in prayer and then get into the word. So Lord, today we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. Just as we've sung this morning, God, and and spent the time declaring your rulership, I pray, God, that you would help us to actually lay hold of that, that it goes beyond our head knowledge, but Lord, that from the very center of who we are, we understand, King of glory, you are Lord of all, that our level of surrender, our level of submission, our level of pursuit would match up with who you are. God, I thank you that you're calling a church who will arise in in this hour and be your people. Live the kingdom that we would go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God, that we would live in the fullness of your plan, that we would live the vibrancy of your kingdom come, your will done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, I thank you that the kingdom message, Lord, is full of hope. It's full of life. It's full of truth. It's full of something that we can, we can build our lives upon, God. And God, we just pray today that the message would go exactly where it needs to go. For us personally, God, that it would, it would encounter us in the areas that maybe need a little bit more surrender. Lord, that it would awaken us in the areas of faith and hope. And Lord, that it would go out beyond these four walls into the places where you want to proclaim your word. God, we thank you for technology even today, that we can, even via technology, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So Lord, we pray that your anointing would rest upon your word today. And Lord, that it would have great effect in your people, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we are talking about every Canadian's favorite topic right now, freedom of choice. (laughs) Now let's 
get down to the nuts and bolts of what freedom of choice is actually all about according to God's plan for us. And it's an interesting thing because we all, we all feel very strongly about it in one way or the other. We all love choices unless there's too many of them. I think I've shared before, I absolutely do not enjoy going to Subway. I enjoy when people feed me from Subway, but I don't like, I want what the picture is. They ask you what kind of bread do you want, what kind of meat do you want, what kind of cheese do you want, what kind of vegetables do you want, what kind of sauce do you want? And I'm like, I want a vacation after I get through ordering my sandwich now. So, you know, there are times when it feels like too much choice can feel like too much, but we all generally have a need to, to, to have a choice about whatever. The uh, very concept of prison is about the idea that choices are removed, your freedoms are removed. And so that is a punishment for wrongdoing, right? And so life, liberty, freedom, it comes with choice. Now, let me present to you that this is not a democratic thing. This is not a North American thing. This is a people designed by God thing. He has put in us something that demands choice, something, the word tells us that eternity is hidden in our hearts. What that means is there's a piece of God's nature that we are craving, that we all want, we all desire. We don't always know what it is right away, but there is an element of heaven that we desire, and choice is a fundamental thing that God gives us. It's interesting, right in uh, you know, Joshua, we know the, the classic phrase, it's part of our, our logo here at the church, but I set before you, life and death, choose life, right? Uh, there, there was the, Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Dave, uh, sorry, Moses said, choose this day who you will serve in the, in the form of, I set before you life and death. It's a choice, but choose life. We have this thing right from the beginning of time. And in fact, it goes even further than that. Here we go. Choice is not simply a function of preference, but it's actually a necessity for love. Choice is not simply a function of preference, but it's also a necessity for love. And so because the nature of God is love, it's who he is, it's not just what he does, he knows that the, the very function of love demands that we have the opportunity to say yes or no to him. We have the opportunity to, to be part of the relationship or not. So love demands that there is a choice. It's not just I like to choose. It's that love demands choice. And so this is the core thing of how we're made. It's something that we're, you know, why are people so worked up right now? I believe it's coming back to a core mandate on the inside of us. It's deeper than the issues that we see right around us. It's the deeper need that we actually have for God. It's a craving on the inside that we try and, you know, it's part of the natural uh, surroundings. It's part of the natural expression. But deeper than that, it's how we connect with God. And so we're going to walk through this today right from the very beginning. And the next few weeks as we lay this out, the goal is, I believe the Spirit of God is nudging us to actually have a complete change of function on the inside. It's not just that we kind of, oh, well, that's an interesting message. But that we understand the kingdom of God is very different from a religion that we've joined. It's very different from a church that we're part of. The kingdom of God is core truth that everything is built upon. So we have to go back to the beginning to lay this out. And to me, this is like, it's fundamental because when we even sing like today, so we sing, you reign above it all, you reign above it all. 
I'm super worried about my finances. I'm super worried about my health. I'm super worried about my children. I'm super worried about my whatever. But we can, we can sometimes separate in church. I'll sing, you reign above it all. But when it comes to real life, I reign above it all. That's not going to work. Moving forward, he reigns above it all. And so when we come into that place of surrender, we come into that place of connection, there's so much life, there's so much freedom. It's the thing that takes away the sting and the scare of getting older or passing away or whatever, is that we know there's a kingdom that's outside of this one that's eternal and better. It's perfect. So we pull on and we experience as much of that kingdom here on earth as we can, but, but we have a greater thing yet in front of us. It provides us hope. So let's go back to the very beginning. Point one, aptly named, the beginning. In the beginning, we're going to pull up from your Bibles, um, Genesis chapter 2. So open her up. I'm going to read from the New King James. If you've got a different translation, it'll be very similar. Genesis chapter 2 is the actual in the beginning. And starting at verse 5, it says, Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Prior to this portion, we see everything that was created on the earth. We see how God put it together. But this particular chunk is very interesting. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and therefore there was no man to till the ground. There was a space of time where God had prepared a place for us to reign. He had prepared a place that was an extension of his kingdom. It was a, it was a place of his rulership, his authority, and it's like he had a pause on it. It was just paused. It was ready to go, and then he formed man. And things began to grow and things began to flourish. So we see God's kind of nature in the expression of rulership that's here. And then go down to verse 15. And it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So what I want you to get a grasp of in the very beginning, before sin entered the earth, before anything went wrong, before we epically screwed up the planet, um, there was this moment of perfection. Right at the beginning, God builds this earth. It's perfect. It's, it's ready to go. He brings man. He, he, he fashions man out of the dust. He breathes his very breath into him. And then he says, it's basically your job to rule this thing. 
It's, I'm giving you authority to govern. I'm giving you authority to put things in order. I'm giving you authority to put things in alignment and steward. And God's giving mankind in this moment this opportunity to experience what it's like to rule with him. As under rulers, God's ultimately in control, but he's delegating authority. And I love this. I, I think it's probably super fun for God that God begins to bring Adam, every beast of the field, and says, you name him. What do, you, what do you think this one's called? Now, I don't know, like some of the names are just, uh, you know, probably get translated over the, over the um, different translations and different um, languages and whatnot. But at the beginning, can you imagine what a long job that was? The kinds of animals, the types, the, you know, and Adam sitting there for who knows how long just making up names, you know? And, and God says, whatever you name them, that's what they shall be. Isn't it interesting that God doesn't say this is what they're named? Let me introduce you to giraffe. Let me introduce you to elephant. Let me introduce you to cat, you know? He doesn't say that he brings these things and he says, what do you want to call them? What does that mean to us? It means that that same nature, that same expression of God, God brings things into our lives and he says, how do you want to see this? How do you want to interact with it? What is your plan for this thing? There's this basic um, instruction from heaven that we get to engage with what God delivers to us. And he leaves us with authority in these areas. We get to do some stuff. The first thing that we see God does with Adam is give him choice. Do you see it? It's the very first thing. He, he, not, before anything else happens, it's your choice. Here's what's presented to you. What do you want to call them? So then if we look a little bit further and go down to uh, Genesis 3, 1 to 7. It's a bit of a long passage here. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you should not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. So what you want to catch in this process that goes on, and it's just this, you know, who knows how many years or how much time according to man's timetable it is, but it starts off with God saying, everything that you see in front of you, I'm giving you. I... Like God's nature is to bless. God's nature is to see us walk in abundance. God's nature was to say, everything you see here, you can have. But there's this one tree, you need to stay away from it. What does that represent? Choice. If there was everything you see here and there's no boundary lines, there's no choice, really. There has to be a boundary line in order for there to be choice. And so Eve comes in and, and suddenly this one thing, this one thing that God says, you can have everything else, but this one thing you need to stay away from, suddenly that's the one thing that she wants. Why? We need to lean into this a little bit. William Law says this, and I think it's just a good... Um, packaging of it. He says, if you have not chosen the kingdom of God first, in the end, it will make no difference what you have chosen second. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added to you. And so even in this moment in history where, you know, everything's like raging and stuff is shaking and people have their opinions on what's going on, the big scale, you know, freedom fighters and whatever. Ultimately, if we're not choosing the kingdom of God first, it won't matter what we choose second. Underneath everything else that we're doing, underneath every letter that we write, underneath every petition that we sign, underneath every, everything that we do to try and fill the earth and subdue it, has to be first and foremost a submission to God. And this is what Adam and Eve were presented with. This is what the one tree is. It's the opportunity to submit to God. God says you can have everything but this. It's a love test. It's a, it's a boundary line. It's a point of structure so that the choice is authentic. And so when we look a little bit further in this, and we see that she struggled with this, we see that there's this alternative presented. So Colossians 1, 13 to 14, as we talked about last week, it says, For he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. What we see presented to Eve in the garden via the serpent is the kingdom of darkness. So she's been walking in the kingdom of light and it's wonderful and it's glorious. Have you ever said that phrase like you don't know what you have until it's gone? Right? We've, we've all had that experience. I believe Eve didn't know what she had until it was gone. So the kingdom of darkness presents itself and offers this other, well, God obviously doesn't want you to have the very best, even though God had given them everything. Why does it matter that we understand the kingdom? Because in God, we have everything. God has every, given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He has provided for us everything that we need. He is there in every moment. He is available. He is the grace, the strength, the supply, the love, the, the, the identity. He's everything that we need. But sometimes we can't see what it is until it's gone. It's why when you, you get around somebody who's a new believer, it's so fun to hear them just talk about the experience that they're having with God, because sometimes we forget how awesome it is. Sometimes we can get looking at the other little thing that's out there, and that's so appealing. But we have to come back to the very core thing. God has conveyed us from this power of darkness and into the kingdom of the son of his love. What does that look like? Very, very similar to what we see in the Garden of Eden. Now, this is before sin encompassed the world, before they were dealing with that dynamic around them. But what we have available to us is the ability to where we go, we actually stand in the authority of God. We are walking, talking members of the kingdom of God. And that is so much different than feeling like a helpless person. You know, I'm just a Christian. I'm, pr I'm just begging God to do something. Sort of wrong. We actually have access to the king of glory. And God's calling us to actually live his kingdom come, live his will be done on earth as it is it in heaven. And it's super powerful. We know that Romans 5.12 tells us that therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because now all sinned. And so in the beginning, sin comes into the earth sadly, through Adam and Eve. I have, I've, I've grown up in my faith a little bit. I used to say, man, when I get to heaven, Eve and I, 
are going to have a cage match because... <laughs> I'm, you know, that girl. But, but seriously, sin entered through this one couple, and we all get born into it. We all get broken, born into the brokenness and the dysfunction and the difficulties. We all get broken in, or born into the depravity and the brokenness of mankind all around us because of this one thing. And yet, Jesus has paid for us to be redeemed from that curse. And so that's the place that we have to shift. We have to understand that what we've been born into and what we get born again into are two very different things. And so as a believer in Christ, we are in combating kingdoms all the time. We know the end of the story. You know, you read the back of the book, you know the final thing. You know that when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. He wasn't, I'm done for now. It is finished. Something was paid for that day that we get to live in. And so we have, to, we have to move into the understanding of that freedom, that life, that new kingdom in order to really grasp how to walk in our authority. But by going through what, what Eve experienced, I think it gives us an indicator of what it is that's in front of us, what it is that we're facing and why it is that we sometimes struggle. Why is it that Christians can be as down, as oppressed, as broken as everybody else? It, it really shouldn't be. It's not that we don't have troubles because the word tells us that in this world we will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So there's going to be stuff that we bump into, but how we respond to it has everything to do with the outcome in our lives. And so let's walk back into what Eve experienced. And this is going to be really helpful for us all, I think. Genesis 3, 6. So go back into your Bibles. So prior to this, Adam and Eve have everything. There is no death. There is no decay. There is no brokenness. There is no sin. They're walking around naked and they don't care. I'm just saying, there's something to be said for there's no death and no decay, right? Um, they're just living life big in the garden, have everything, and then this little bait comes in. This little hook comes in. You, like, we're all, like, we, we all think if we had access to everything we could ever need and ever want, and we had ultimate freedom, we'd be so happy. Or would we? Because she wasn't. She was baitable still. The element of choice is necessary for us to actually experience the fullness of freedom. So, Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. She saw, she looked around, and she saw that it was a good for food. In other words, it was pleasing to her physical body, to her senses. She saw, she looked at this thing and she saw, actually, I think that would be quite enjoyable for me personally. I feel like I, I want that. I desire that. This is a bait that we all fall into. Why aren't we walking in the fullness of the kingdom? Well, sometimes we're baited by what we think looks good. 
We think that our senses would like this. Our senses would like, and, and I mean, it can be substances. It can be, you know, emotional expressions. It can be choices. It can be whatever. But her eyes saw that it looked good for food, that she would enjoy what she saw there that she wasn't supposed to have. Then it says she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes or it looked good to her. The it looked good, it was pleasant to the eyes. It was about the appearance of it. A lot of us get baited out of the kingdom plan for us because of the appearances. We want to look good to others. We want things to look good. We want to put on the image. We want people to think a certain way about us. We want people to to package us in a certain way. And so we will step away. I mean, how many of you have felt the nudge of the Lord to lay hands on the sick? You know, you see some person, you get an inner unction from the Holy Spirit. You need to go over to them and share the gospel with them and, you know, whatever. And it's just like, no, that's going to look freaky. Or you, you go to share something with somebody and, and it's not the popular opinion, but you know that the word of God is burning on the inside of you and you suck it back because you want to look good to people. I believe even in our churches, we've come through this season where, where we have tried so hard to appeal to the masses that we've forgotten to appeal to the one. And ultimately, his presence is what matters most. We're really glad everybody else is here today, but you're here for him, aren't you? It's got to be about him. So the appearance of things, she, she was caught by that it looked good. And then it was desirable to make one wise. In other words, it was going to do something on the inside of her that would make her better, that would cause her to rise up. She knew that God knew everything and they were learning. They were growing in their experience in the garden and in their walking and talking with the Lord. But this was going to do something for her, something on the inside. Now, Why does this matter? Because this is the very beginning of the book. But then we know New Testament, the second Adam comes, right? Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus comes and he lives life as a man, even though he's fully God, he's fully man. And he comes and he lives the human experience for us. And so the very beginning of the Gospels, we see the journey that he comes through. We see in Matthew chapter 3, this shift, um, or sorry, Yeah. Oh, man, I'm jumping around here. We see this shift of when he comes in, he is baptized by John. The Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he's led directly by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And so we're going to walk through this a little bit and see the comparison. But 1 John 2, 15 to 17 gives us an indicator of what Jesus experienced when he went into the wilderness. So just stick with me on this. It says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, now remember the world is this earthly structure. It's the earthly governing authorities. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of this world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So we see in this passage, if we look specifically at verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. Eve experienced looking at this tree, looking at this fruit, and she said it was good for food, it was pleasant for the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise. 
The things of this earth are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Are you tracking with me? So what we see here is that she bumped into the kingdom systems where God says you can have everything, but you have to be dependent on me. There's got to be a boundary line. And ultimately, you trust me. You submit yourself to me and to my rulership. But she bumps into this lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So moving forward, same devil, same bait, same plan. Lust means a longing for or a desire. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, a longing for or a desire for the things of the flesh, a longing for or a desire for the things that look good, a, a longing for, a desire for the things that would, would be, uh, you know, prideful, the things that exalt me, the things that give me a place of prominence. There's this bait into these same three things. It means ultimately lust is to set the heart upon. That's the definition, to set the heart upon. So I can be, I love God, you reign above it all, you're the king of glory, you're the Lord of lords, you're the master of the universe. All I can think about is my career, my house, my stuff, my action plans, my goals, my, you know, whatever, but, but God, you reign above it all. God's saying that there is a place in this realm that will try and draw us off the pursuits that we should have. If he is first, if we seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added to us. What, what does that mean in practical, practical things? It means that no matter what I do, this is why I have a big issue with separating church and the marketplace. Whatever I do, wherever I go, whatever my assignment, he reigns above it all. Wherever I am uh, connecting with people, wherever I get to make a decision, it really should be about him. But if I'm getting baited off by what looks good, what looks good on me, and how I think it's going to elevate me, how it's going to you know, serve me well, I get pulled into something I shouldn't get pulled into. Why am I mentioning that now? Because this is why I say we have to be very careful as the world is shaking at the moment. We have to be very careful that we're waving the right flags about the right things at the right time in the right way. We have to identify what is kingdom of God and what is kingdom of man. And let me tell you, they are colliding aggressively right now. There's something huge happening. So in my own heart, I have to analyze this. We have, uh, and I'm not going to presume everybody here is conservative voting, but if you are, you should have been very happy that we had an upset in our national government this week. Just, it just so happens as people are really praying. Why? Because our previous um, head of the conservative government had voted very poorly on areas of righteousness. Um, as much as God cares about the budget and as much as he cares about you know, the natural things, the righteousness issues are kingdom issues. And so when we're talking about euthanasia, we're talking about abortion, we're talking about identity, you know, we're talking about the stuff that is God's, that matters to him, uh, how we function as a, as a nation. And so even as we're, you know, going to be voting in a new leader of the conservative party, and this is going to be our new contender for the national race, I'm cautioning Christians, you know, do not just look at the balance sheet of who's more popular, who's more 
more, who's more actual conservative, who's going to vote for righteousness? As the people of God, that's where our vote needs to go. Who is standing for righteousness? Because the other stuff can be used by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It can be baited. The things that are about the kingdom first, the righteousness issues, those are God. So let's follow this a little bit further through then, the choice. So we have basically the beginning, we have the alternative that's presented, it's these three things, and then we have the choice. And so Matthew 4, flip over in there, and we're going to see this, the second Adam walking it out in real life. This is historical stuff, real fact, documented. This is how Jesus experienced this same thing. So Matthew 4, 1 to 11. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. We know that this was God's plan. Why, why is this an important part of Jesus's journey? Because if Adam and Eve had the choice to sin, Jesus also needed the choice to sin. If he was going to redeem us, he had to live the same experience as Adam and Eve did, but he had to get it right. He had to do the right thing. So he was led purposefully. Let me present this to you. That time in the wilderness was for us. It was for our freedom. It was for us to experience what it looked like to live out the fullness of God's plan in honesty and integrity, in righteousness. So it says, and Jesus was led up by the spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. No kidding. Now, when the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Catch that, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Jesus had these three tests presented to him at his moment of complete and utter physical weakness. Have you ever noticed that the temptations don't come when you're feeling rock solid? Right? The attack doesn't come when you're like, oh yeah, I totally got this Jesus thing. I'm absolutely on top of it. It comes when you're, you're weak, when you're weary. When, when Satan was testing Jesus and he's, he's tempting him at other times, he, he went and he went to come back at a more opportune time. He, he waits until those moments when we're weak. So we need to be sharp on what does God say. Some of the times while we uh, look at the temptations of Jesus, we will, you know, just say, you know, you answer the temptation with the word. True. You answer the bombardment of the enemy with the word. True. But it's more than that. Quoting scripture doesn't mean a thing if you don't actually have an application for it in your heart. If it doesn't mean anything to you, it's not like a magic chant that you can just make the enemy back off with. The conviction of your heart is what's connected to this. And so Jesus gave the conviction of his heart 
and the word. And the word of God was powerful. But imagine when we, when we talk about the word of God is powerful, it's a, it's a two-edged sword dividing between bone and marrow. Imagine if you've got the sword, but you just kind of like pick it up and go, you know, oh, you're coming at me? Okay, I'm getting my sword. It's not the same thing as you take up the sword and you wield the thing, right? You go at it. You use the sword of the spirit. And so Jesus used the sword. There was some conviction behind it. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter that we all use the word, but I'm just saying God wants us to get in and understand that the word is spirit and it's life and it's valuable and we should love it. We should pull from it as though it's our life is literally depending on it. And this is what Jesus did. But let's look at what Jesus specifically is answering. So the temptations that come at Jesus, three specific ones. It's interesting that Eve had three things that she saw that the temptation was good for. We know that the world has the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There's the three things, and Jesus has three temptations. Coincidence? I think not. And so... Leading into this, test one was the bread. It was the test of the flesh. It was the thing, that very thing, when Eve said it looked good for eating, it, the flesh was being drawn into this. What does my flesh want? What would satisfy my flesh right now? What is it that I physically crave with my senses? What is it that I desire? My flesh is after something. So Jesus was tested with this, and this was a really good test after 40 days of fasting to tempt him with bread. But then Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3 when he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then test two was about the, the test of the eyes. It was about appearances. When Satan brings him to the highest point in the temple and he says, cast yourself off. What he was really saying was, you need to put yourself out there so God will be forced to identify you. The father will be forced to do something. Do what looks good. You, you got a mission here on earth. Do what looks good. Do what looks good. We can't care that much about what looks good. And so Jesus answered him from Deuteronomy 6.16. And he said, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Don't tempt him. Don't put him to the test. Don't do this stuff. We can't just launch out and expect that God's going to, you know, buffer for us. We go where he sends us, when he sends us, how he sends us. If he's the kingdom, uh, king and we're in the kingdom, it's about his rule over this. And then he says, you know, here's all the kingdoms of the world. Here's the earthly realm. Here's all the natural rulership. Bow to me, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you pain without the cost, or give you power without the cost. I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand up and to be seen. I'm going to give you what you really want. He's appealing to pride. He's looking for a place of pride. Jesus didn't have one. And so Jesus answers back and he, he specifically says from Deuteronomy 6, 13, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. There's a purity behind what Jesus does and he keeps putting it back to God. He keeps drawing it back to God. He's like, you know, it actually doesn't matter what I crave 
It doesn't really matter what people see in me or how it looks, and it really doesn't matter whose who's attention I have. It doesn't matter what the, the pride level is. I don't need the platform. I need God first and foremost before anything. And what's interesting about these passages is Jesus could have quoted from anywhere, but everything that he quoted was from Deuteronomy. So he's quoting from this, this thing that God is saying. He's quoting from this core truth. So let's just flip back. And we're going to read uh, Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 16. I think I might have given you the wrong one, Paul. Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 16. Now, this is where God has brought Israel into the new land. I know this is a lot of content, but just track with me here. When Jesus is responding to these temptations, he's stepping up into his ministry. He's stepping up into the plan for his life. He's stepping up into his adulthood. He's finally 30 years old and people will actually listen to him. Um, there's this shift that's happening. And so he quotes from this passage, which is actually God's commandments big picture of what happens when you start to move forward, when you start to succeed, when you start to live life. So starting at verse 10 and down to 16, it says, so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build, houses full of all good things, which you did not fill, hewn out wells, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full... When it's good, when your guard is down, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve his name and shall take oaths in his name. And you shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. So Jesus answers and he just says, you should not tempt the Lord your God. And so we can kind of just glaze over that. We have to look at the context. The context is God is saying through Jesus in defense of when the enemy comes up and he says, oh, appeal and appease your flesh. Go after what looks good. Go after what feels good. Pursue the prominence. Per pursue the fame. I'm going to make it easy for you. The answer is do not, do not forget that anything that you have is because God gave it to you. Do not forget that God brought you to this place. Do not forget that your life is in his hands. Do not forget the, the, the riches of heaven that are at your disposal and go after the gods and the things that are right around you. Don't tempt God because God is a jealous God. What does that mean? It means that in our day and age, when we're tempted by the stuff that's right around us, we're tempted by the fleshy stuff, we're tempted to self-pacify, we're tempted to self-provide, we're tempted to, you know, make things look good and feel good and whatever. God's saying, you got to beware, I'm jealous for your affections. I care to be your king. 
I care to be the one who's ruling your life. I care to have your heart in my hands. I care that you love me. I care that your affection is drawn towards me. It means that every time we're baited away from the purposes and the passion of God because it feels good, God's standing there going, I won't tolerate it. I won't tolerate it. So we have this kind of thing that has happened in the body of Christ lately where there is a lack of power because the kingdom of God is not word but in power. And so there's this lack of power because so many of us have been baited away by some of these simple things. Things have become good. And this is the warning that God gave to Israel was that when it's good, when there's no conflict, you're going to be really tempted to go after the other stuff that's right in front of you. And I won't put up with it. It's actually one of the things that I think has been a positive out of this season that we've been in in the last few years in the disruption of our comfort. It's calling the church back to her knees. It's calling us back to the place of saying, okay, I, I actually don't care about what's going on in the flesh anymore. I need you. And these are the verses that Jesus is, is quoting. Then flip over a page to Deuteronomy 8, 1 to 3. And we're going to see the other chunks that are quoted here. This very first one that Jesus said, verse one, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord uh, swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and he allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but, by, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So again, when you see it in context, it's not about bread. Why couldn't Jesus have bread at the end of the fast? It wasn't about that. It was the bait of the prince of the power of the air, the kingdoms of this world that were baiting Jesus out of this core thing where God says, I, I, I desire to bring you, like seriously, 8-1, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord God swore to your fathers. God wants to bless us and the enemy baits us with something simple and small and temporal, but it's right in front of us. He baits and, and Jesus is saying by quoting this passage, he's saying, you know what? It's not about bread. It's not about, I, yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling empty right now, but I am not going to trade this kind of thing, the possessing what it is that the Father's given me, the land, the territory that he's given me for a momentary satisfaction. I'm not going to bow my heart to the king of this world, the, the prince of this world over bread. As we move through this concept, this kingdom concept, this is, for some, this is going to be the answer to addictions. For some, this is going to be answer to some of our stewardship issues. It's understanding that when God says no, it's not to punish you. He's setting a boundary line because he wants to give you, as I give you this kingdom that I'm leading you into, as I'm leading you into this territory, as I give you the goodness that I have prepared for you, but we get baited with bread. You know, whatever your bread is, that, that bait is there. So Jesus navigated it through. And passion-wise, yes, he answered with the word. But what he really answered with was surrender. 
the, the passages that he chose to answer with were passages that declare a choice. Passages that talk about God is king, that there is a ruler above all of this. The passages that he answered with were about laying his life down in, in commitment to the kingdom purposes over his life. It's why Jesus came out and he only did what he saw the father do. He only spoke what he heard the father say. How did he get there? He navigated tests like this with surrendering to God, with not just quoting scripture, but going back to the core content of what these scriptures represent. Surrender to the king of glory. Mike Bickle says, humility is the ultimate standard of greatness in the kingdom of God. I love that. Humility is the ultimate standard of greatness in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that you're not somebody. It means that you choose to bring your somebody under submission to the king of glory. It means that whatever I have, God, it's yours. Whatever I have available to me to work with, it's yours. The, the, the breath that I breathe, the days that I have, it's yours. I'm committed to your purposes. I'm committed to, to go where you want me to go. I'm committed to talk to who you want me to talk to. I'm committed to serve however you want me to serve. I'm committed to say no to the things that will damage what it is you want to do in my life. I'm committed to you. This is humility. Our experience of freedom is in direct correlation to submission to our king. Our experience of freedom is in direct correlation to our submission to the king. And just meditate on that for a minute. I know there's a lot of scripture in this today, but we need to understand that, you know, straight up, Satan's not creative. It's helpful to know, to me anyway, it's helpful to know that the same things that Eve faced were the same things that Jesus faced. They're the same things that I face. So I can look back and I can see how the first Adam failed, but I can see how the second Adam was triumphant and I can make my choice accordingly. God will always leave me the choice, but he wants us to understand that everything we are, everything that we have is his. This flies so in the face of North American culture, doesn't it? None of us are really self-made men. None of us, you know, we can't control things. We can't, you know, I, I saw, you guys all saw the big news thing the other day. Uh, Facebook lost like copious amounts of money overnight, just stock market stuff or whatever. You know, if you're in the kingdom and you're invested in certain things, you're not worried about whatever. The kingdoms of man try and control and dictate and dominate. The kingdoms of God are about surrender and giving and it's him and it's his and I live in him and through him and by him and he will never seek to do me harm. It's based on, it's founded on love. And so just from that place, as we go into communion this morning, I'm just gonna release you if you wanna get your kids for this. But the very last thing that we see Jesus pray in the garden is connected to this, right? Matthew 26, 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is what the kingdom is. So it's kind of, a, it's kind of an intense message in terms of our fleshy responses. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. But when we understand the kingdom, 
When we look at the very beginning, when we see that God took Adam into the garden and he's like, all this I'm giving you. I'm going to bring you the animals. You name them. I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. I want you to bring it into order. I want you to walk in my authority. I want you to walk in my blessing. That's still God's plan for us. It never changed. But we have been baited by these things all the time. We've been baited by what our eyes see and what we want. We've been baited by what we think things look like and how, how it looks uh, to us and to others. And we've been baited by that pride of life. I want to be somebody. I want to be significant in somebody's eyes. God says that we're fully significant in him, that we've been chosen by him. We've been selected by him. He knows us by name. You were born because he made you. You're breathing because he's breathing life into you right now. The, the word tells us that he wrote the book of our lives. Isn't it interesting when we don't understand kingdom that we literally can sit around and we can work out what my life is supposed to be about? Or we can ask him and read the book. You know, find out what it is. God, what it is, what did you put in me? What do you see in me? What do you want from my life? I'm surrendered to you. I'm submitted to you. I'm after your heart. I want what you want for me. I want, I want to live your kingdom come, your will done on the earth as it is in heaven. We never see, when we read the New Testament, particularly the book of Acts, when we see the first church, we see them walk out going into all the world to preach the gospel. You don't see a lot of self. You see a lot of him. You, you see a lot of like, God, what do you want to do? And we're, we're walking in your fullness. We're walking in your power. We're walking in your might. What am I saying? That today, even as we go into communion, I believe it's more than just celebrating the fact that Jesus died for us. It's that honestly, when we say yes to him, when we become believers, when we become Christ-like ones, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. We become part of a kingdom that has no beginning and no end. We're under the king of glory who is eternal, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-wise. We come into the place of the holy. We come into the place where we actually can connect with God. We actually can connect with freedom. And, and there's just no place for us to hang on to us. There's no, there's no little bit saved. There's no little bit surrendered. There's no little bit, you know, God will give you one yes and 18 no's. And hopefully that works for today. God gives us choice because he wants us to want him. It's the choice of love. I'll have the worship team come, please. It's the freedom of choice that he offers us. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The message of the kingdom of God, the message of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us, to save us, to rescue us, to ransom us, to pay the price for us so that we could come into fellowship with the Father. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus wouldn't have even been able to make that price if he'd have lost it in the wilderness. If he'd have bit into one of those temptations, if he'd have said yes to something, 
that, you know, would have appealed to the flesh. If we look at this very thing, our experience of freedom is in direct correlation to our submission to the King. This morning, as we prepare ourselves for communion, I wanna just pose that to us. Where's our level of submission? Where's our level of yes before Him? Are we asking Him to just bless our choices? Or are we inviting Him into every choice? Are we asking Him to bless our actions? Or are we choosing our actions based on where He's directing? Are we, are we feeling guilty every time we come and worship or prayer or into the Word because we've got something going in our lives that we know is so contrary to Him? Where's our, where's our level of submission? Where's our level of yes? I think there is nothing that could be any stronger than Jesus sweating drops of blood, weeping in the garden and saying, if there's any other way, we see his will in action. We see if there's any other way that this could happen, I'd really rather not. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I believe the power that God wants to release for the church will be directly correlated to our level of surrender. You know, again, a lot of scripture today, but this is the meat of the word. In all of human history, God has left us a choice. And today he leaves us a choice. What does that mean in real life action? It might mean an actual, you know, job change, uh, location change, a ministry, you know, whatever. It might mean as simple as the lust of the flesh means I bite my tongue when I'd really rather say something else, right? It might mean I minister love when I'm not feeling it, but it's the right thing to do right now. It might mean that I don't, I don't actually care what other people think it looks like if I feel to raise my hands, to bend my knee, to worship fully, to, to, I, I don't care what it looks like, I'm, I'm gonna do it. And it might mean not worrying about whether people think you're important, that you're successful, that they, they notice you. You know, it's like such a thing in our culture right now. How many Instagram followers do you have? How much influence do you have? You should have as much influence as God has decided to assign to you. No more, no less. What's our level of surrender? Pastor Brad talked about we're, we're adding the pursuit nights um, for the rest of the month from now on. Our first Sunday night of the month, we're going to continue on as we have been, just seeking Him, pursuing Him, very, uh, very vertical. But I believe that in the other weeks of the month, God's calling us to pray things. He's calling us to engage. There's a level of warfare that we're going to step into that we need to be okay. You know, some of us just need to be okay to learn to pray out loud occasionally. You know, just a few words. Some of us need to be okay to sing a little bit. Some of us need to be okay to just do something that's outside of what my flesh is comfortable with because he's worth it. I believe when we've been invited into the kingdom, it's more than just salvation. That's the first step, but there's more. 
But this morning, I, I believe everybody got one of our communion things. If you didn't, um, would you just put up your hand and we'll have the ushers run around real quick and, and get one to you. Some in the back there. Oh, up in the balcony. If we could have somebody run upstairs, we'll get it to you. We want to make sure we can participate together today. Now, for anybody who is not, you've never made that commitment for Christ at all. You've, you've, when I say you, you know, salvation is the first thing, maybe you've never made that commitment. It's an essential. The only thing that's required before we receive communion together is that we are born again, that we come into salvation, that we say yes to Jesus, that we allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word tells us that he forgives our sin. He cleanses us. He makes us new. And it says quite simply that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth, that's all it takes. It's not some big process that we go through. It's saying simply yes to God. And so I'm gonna lead us all in a prayer towards that and it's good for each one of us to just have that refresher of the cleansing and reminder of the cleansing then this morning we want to do that together and and again i want to encourage you for those who have been believers for a long time maybe even in this level of prayer the holy spirit's already been nudging you about an area of surrender that needs to be happening yeah. by faith i would encourage you to say yes to that today because your level of experience freedom is in direct correlation to your level of surrender. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. So let's just pray this together. If you'd repeat after me this morning, Father God, I come before you today with a wide open heart. I thank you for freedom of choice. Thank you for freedom of I thank you for its connection to love. And I thank you that you love the world so much that you gave Jesus to die on the cross, to rise again, to pay the price for me, to give me back the choice. I was born into sin. I was born into death. But you've come and offered life. But you've come and offered life. And life abundantly. Life abundantly. And Father, today, Father, today, I ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness. For every sin. For every sin. Every place I've fallen short. Every place I've fallen short. Every place I've turned away from you. Every place I've turned away from you. And I thank you that the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Cleanses me. Cleanses me. And washes me clean. And washes me clean. I choose today. I choose today. You. you. I choose my king. I choose my king. I choose this kingdom. I choose this kingdom. And I choose to give you my life. I choose to give you my life. In return. In return. Live in me. Live in me. Flow through me. Flow through me. Help me to bring you glory. Help me to bring you glory. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your will be done. In me. In me. As it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. And I thank you for it. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, I'm just going to ask you at the end of the service, 
uh, Pastor Brad and Pastor George will be over on this side and they'd love to meet with you and just give you some first steps to follow through. But for the rest of us, let's stand together today. All of us, we're just gonna go into our communion time. It's so good, huh? Just to celebrate what Jesus did, to celebrate the gift that he gave, to celebrate the fullness of the price. There's the wine and the bread, and there's the connection that Jesus offered us. We've got the awkward ones this morning, so if you gotta just pull off the top layer here, is the bread. you're watching at home, grab some juice, crackers, whatever. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? It goes back to that very first decision. It goes back to that very first thing where Eve looked at the tree and went, wow, it's appealing. Jesus suffered everything he did because each one of us since that time was born into that atmosphere. And so today we celebrate what he bought back for us. We celebrate the fact that his broken body was broken for us. We celebrate the fact that the word tells us that by his stripes, we are healed. It tells us that he went through that beating. He went through that whipping. He went through that suffering because it's the price that had to be paid for our freedom. And I love how the word tells us that Jesus said, I've been waiting, I've been longing to celebrate this meal with you. And in Matthew, it says, and as they were eating it, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And so Jesus today, as we've got these little wafers, and we know it's just symbolic, but our hearts are wide open before you. We thank you for the body that was broken for us. We thank you, God, for the promise that we get to receive, that by your stripes we are healed. We thank you, God, for paying the price for us. And we do this today in remembrance of you. And let's receive that together. tells us that the life is in the blood. <laughs> that this blood that was spilt wasn't just that we bleed when we're cut. It was blood that had to be spilt 
The wages of sin is death. Jesus paid my bill. He paid your bill. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay with the very lifeblood, fulfilling the covenant and making space for us. This morning, I wanna just pray into this. If you have received Christ and you're receiving this, so you have. You made that prayer this morning. This blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The blood that Jesus shed has a significance beyond just some sentimentality. It means that the debt has been paid. We can live a new life. We're called into newness of life. So whatever past things are behind you, whatever disappointments, whatever failures, whatever places of shame, whatever places the enemy has been attacking your mind with. Today, we celebrate the blood. This is newness of life. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. God, we thank you today for the blood that was spilled for us, for the remission or the washing away of sins, the cleansing, the newness of life. God, we know we didn't deserve it, but you gave it freely. You restored to us freedom and hope and life. You restored to us the opportunity to know you, to, to come into that place of relationship. And God, today we refuse to go any further with those voices of accusation behind us, the chains of shame, the chains of sin that have been behind us. God, we thank you that this blood that was spilled for us was the new covenant and it creates a new space for us. So as we celebrate today, as we partake of this drink together, we thank you for that newness of life. We thank you for the new beginning. We thank you for freshness. We thank you for the new covenant in Jesus' name. Let's partake of that together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So we're just going to sing into this as we close this morning and declare our gratitude. We're gonna come back tonight at six o'clock and whatever God wants to do, he gets to do. But as we sing this, I wanna just allow the Lord to just wash over your heart and your mind. I want you to just let, your, let yourself go into that place of knowing you've been invited into a new kingdom. Yeah. You've been invited into a new place. There's a new king that you serve. There's a place of conflict that you have been in. It's a place that we walk in this, this realm. But the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is above it all. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. We live in his victory and we live in the price that was paid for us in Jesus' name.
Yes, Lord. So, God, we just thank you for that today. We thank you for that provision that's been made for us, God. We thank you, Lord, that you opened the door for choice for us to choose you. And God, today from this place, from this fresh refreshing, we just say we choose you. Yes. King of glory, we choose you. We choose you. We choose you. And God, I thank you for your grace upon each one as we go today. And Lord, we, we look forward to what you have planned for tonight. We give you the praise. We give you our worship. We give you our lives in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.